Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, April 8th, 2020 edition of our little weather get together. Uh, we hope you are all staying safe out there. Tonight, we're going to be talking about storm chasing and COVID-19. We know that uh, the pandemic is ongoing throughout the United States and we are entering severe weather season. So we're going to talk to some storm chasers tonight, some familiar faces and some new faces. We want to welcome in Kevin Smith. He's with the National Weather Service in Pocatello, uh, Idaho. We have on with us uh, Tim Marshall, storm chaser, meteorologist, and engineer. If you are familiar with the weather community, you know uh, Tim goes out and, and uh, performs uh, damage surveys after these uh, big tornado events. So uh, happy to have Tim on and let him talk a little bit about that towards the end of the show. And our good friend Mike Olabinski is with us. He's back with this storm uh, chaser, videographer, uh, located out in Arizona and goes out throughout the plains uh, throughout the storm season capturing all the sounds and the sights of tornadoes and severe weather. So we're happy to have uh, Tim and Mike and Kevin on with us. We may be joined by an additional guest later on uh, in the program. Before we get off to the topic tonight, I do want to let you know, speaking of severe weather, uh, we do have uh, some severe weather in the Carolinas. Currently, uh, we have a severe thunderstorm warning uh, draped over Mecklenburg County into Union County, Gaston, Cleveland, um, Chesterfield, I'm sorry, uh, York, York County and uh, uh, Cherokee County in South Carolina. So that's the severe thunderstorm warning and also another one, uh, severe thunderstorm warning located over Mount Olive in um, southeastern North Carolina. So uh, we're going to be uh, continuing with severe weather not only now but later on in the evening into the early morning hours. Uh, you can find all the watches and warnings scrolling on the screen throughout the program. Uh, so just keep an eye on that as I'm sure we'll probably see some more warnings issued throughout the program. So before uh, well, we'll talk more about severe weather and the outlook for tonight and throughout next week at the end of the show, let's go ahead and bring in our guests. I want to bring in uh, Tim Marshall, Michael Levinsky, and Kevin Smith with us tonight. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Uh, we're happy to have you. How's everyone doing this evening? I'm still alive. <laughs> well, that's good. We like to hear that. Uh, Doing Tim, great. Uh, Thanks for having us on. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, great thank to you. be here. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, Tim, we'll start with you. You are in uh, Texas uh, uh, right now. Tell us a little bit uh, for uh, your first time guest. So tell us a little bit about uh, your weather history, your weather background, how you got caught up in this uh, crazy uh, weather community that we're all involved in. Yeah, we've come a long way, haven't we? Many, many years. Well, I've always been interested in the weather. Ever since I was small, I really kept weather records in my house. My parents asked me what I wanted for Christmas. I told them a barometer. They said, what's that? And I go, it's a device that measures barometric pressure, air pressure. And I got a barometer, so I kept daily records. I wrote to TV weatherman. They wrote me back, back in those days. And then uh, Ted Frigida was at the University of Chicago, and I was in a suburb of Chicago, Oak Lawn. I got hit by a F4 tornado on April 21, 1967. I was about nine or 10. And I knew right then and there, I wanted to study tornadoes the rest of my life and and figure out what these things are. And I didn't realize at that time I was going to chase them down, but uh, that uh, came later. But I wanted to go to school and learn about tornadoes. And that's what I did. That's awesome. And Tim, we want to get more into what you do after the tornado later on in the show. Uh, let's bring in Kevin Smith. He's uh, with the National Weather Service in Idaho. Kevin, uh, currently in Idaho, but you also have some ties here to North Carolina. Tell us a little bit about you. 
Yeah, so great to be on, and uh, thanks for having me uh, on the show tonight. So I uh, grew up in central New York, uh, Syracuse area, right in the middle of New York State, and uh, right on the edge of the lake effect snow belts, which uh, might have helped spur a little bit of my early interest in the weather. And I'm not really sure what really got me into it. You know, a lot of people have stories of uh, a big tornado or a big storm or some trigger for them that really launched them into their uh, meteorology careers, their storm chasing careers and whatnot. Um, and not sure really what it was for me, but ever since elementary school, knew I wanted to be a meteorologist and uh, was particularly interested in the National Weather Service, uh, just for the public service side, public protection side of everything. Uh, so went to uh, college down in uh, NC State, Raleigh. So there's my uh, connection to North Carolina. Uh, started in 2007, uh, working on my meteorology degree and was there for four or five years. So, uh, you know, got to know a lot of great people down there. And uh, Dan Whitaker and I, I believe uh, we met uh, possibly doing some local chasing uh, back during that time when I was in college. Uh, got some exposure at the Raleigh Weather Service office, doing some volunteer work there. Uh, uh, whatnot and I got involved in the ham radio side of weather spotting and the Skywarn programs there in central North Carolina as well. And uh, so graduated in 2012 and uh, just like a lot of people are facing very competitive these days to get into the National Weather Service. And it took several years of applying and uh, kind of refining my credentials and gaining some more experience in different areas and uh, during that time I uh, spent some time actually firefighting and doing uh, private security as my paid job uh, during that period. So a little bit of a break and then I uh, was able to get a job offer at the National Weather Service out here in Pocatello, Idaho, uh, about three, just a little over three years ago. And I've uh, been out here ever since. Do you know my, one of my best them. friends out there? I'm sorry? Do you know one of my best friends out there, Jeff Hedges? Yes. Yes. Uh, Jeff was there when I first started. I, he's retired now. But uh, yeah, I, I was able to work with him for, I believe, a little bit over a year out there. Yeah. Jeff and I went to school together at NIU. Yeah, so small, tight-knit community in this meteorology world we live in. Yep. <laughs> so and I uh, have about 13, 12 or 13 years of storm chasing experience uh, as well, but I've, I've continued on the sides. Do you, know Do you know Elizabeth Padian? I have met her. I believe oh, okay. she is or was working at the Boise Weather Service office. And I've oh, met Boise. Her oh, that's what it was. Okay, yeah. yeah. I shot her wedding like years ago, and she was always, um, she said she was up from one of those offices and for some reason Pocatello always seemed to be where she was from or something in my head. So that's why I remember. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I have met her as well. Well, Mike, I'm going to start off with first question for you. Uh, our guests may remember you from December, uh, but I want to ask all three of you guys um, your different roles. Each one of you have a different role in storm chasing, a different agenda um, idea of what you want to do. So Mike, I'll start with you. I kind of tell us, uh, you know, you live in Arizona, so you, you make the trek out to the, the plains every year. Kind of tell us about the role that uh, that you want uh, as you're out to storm chasing. Um, you know, I was just talking to someone today there. They were saying something about, you know, I, I bet you'd probably still go chasing if you didn't have a camera. And I was like, I don't know, like I would love to watch a storm if I didn't have a camera, but chasing it and going out to the plains and all that stuff. I like my big thing is I love to capture that stuff photos, um, time lapse and share that stuff. That's kind of what, you know, drives me. So my whole kind of motivation every year is to go out and do that. And it's, you know, my job has kind of evolved since I've been, you know, started doing this over 10 years ago out here. And I'm, you know, from Arizona, we get amazing monsoon thunderstorms. And that's what I grew up loving out here was lightning and 
dust storms and all that. And so, of course, you know, once I saw a supercell in the tornado, I was like, well, that's the next best thing. So, um, but I, but my, my job has kind of evolved where I'm out there mainly for me to get footage, but I've also turned into taking people along on tours. You know, I kind of, you know, do more like, I guess I would kind of call them private tours where there's one or two or three people coming along, try to keep them small because I, I still want to get, you know, the footage I want to get. And, um, and we've also played um, guide to having some people follow us um, that want to get the same kind of footage that we're getting. And we're, you know, we're definitely, when I say we, I mean, sometimes I have my buddy Brett ride along or me by myself, but we, uh, you know, we kind of have a different mindset. I know Tim, you know, they, a lot of these guys are right under the tornado. They're, they want to get close up footage. They're, they're getting the damage. They're getting all this, the crazy stuff. And we're usually in front of it because we want to stay out of the rain and the hail because we want to capture these images. So, so the footage we're getting is a little bit of a, you know, a different type than what other people get, but it's, um, it's a heck of a lot of fun and I'm hoping, you know, badly that I will be able to get some more this spring. Um, I'll bring in Brett Adair. He's joining us. I think he's actually out in the field right now. Uh, doing a little bit of chasing. Uh, Brett, uh, a guest of our show, so if you've been following us, you've seen Brett before. Uh, Brett, you uh, do live storm media, working, doing some stuff for Weather Nation. Uh, what's your objective? What's your goal as you go out in the uh, out in the field to, and chase? Well, the number one objective has been report. Obviously, we want to uh, get in front of these storms and, you know, in some cases get close and others maybe not so close. Today, the objective was uh, we had some inverted v type soundings earlier in the day so we knew hail and damaging winds were going to be the the key elements the components for earlier today so we did a little chasing in the severe thunderstorm wash down in alabama just to do a little bit of reporting if we had anything um now we're shifting into nighttime mode where we're moving up i-65 north of birmingham headed toward uh, huntsville and we're going to go up and see if we can't, uh, you know, confirm anything that might happen. We've got increasing shear in the overnight hours, and we're still really unstable. Two to 3,000 cape out here as these storms push out of Tennessee and Arkansas. So uh, we're going to be doing anything that we can to confirm any type of damage and uh, see if we get any wind or hail reports up here. And so we know uh, chasing kind of uh, a different scenario this year with the coronavirus going on. Um, maybe some, some different rules, perspectives coming through. Uh, Tim Marshall, I know you was able to uh, head up to Jonesboro, Arkansas. We'll talk a little bit about that later on. But as you're out in the, uh, out in the field, what, what is your, 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 uh, your uh, guidelines or what, what's your, um, what are you wanting to look for as you're out in the field? Well, we've had right. changes. Now, oh, go ahead. <clears throat> now, right now, I'm on this EF scale committee. And what we try to do is get, pictures of certain buildings that are damaged by tornadoes. So that's my mission. And that's why I was in Nashville. I was in Jonesboro and Dallas looking for these specific damage indicators, as we call them, and get photos of that. We have plenty of photos of damaged houses and manufactured homes. We, what we want to do is, is look at more details like your uh, Walgreens and uh, your cantilever uh, lights that we have, uh, street lights, those kinds of things that we need photos for. So that's what I'm doing is I'm surveying to, to get specific photographs. Awesome. Uh, that's some great perspective there. Um, some good uh, information that we get from your storm surveys. Uh, Dan, I know uh, you 
friends with Kevin and maybe you guys can kind of talk about that side of the, the, the conversation tonight. Right. Yeah, definitely. So um, it's nice to have a great uh, round view of perspectives here of all the different types of chasing that, that the people here do as well as the professional associations um, with their job in storm chasing. Um, so, um, you know, it's one of the, the perspectives that I thought was really important to have tonight was uh, bringing on um, Kevin Smith, who's a meteorologist at the National Weather Service. Uh, I've known Kevin for a while. We've we've ran his storms together. We've um, in North Carolina, we both would end up on some of the same um, storms as we we're chasing it. Uh, he's always been someone who has uh, thought very critically to spotter um, reports and, uh, reports to be used for the National Weather Service. So, so that being said, kind of, um, Kevin, you know, what, what do you think, like, I mean, just for you to speak to it, your overall, um, kind of perspective on storm reports and the importance of those and how those are used for the National Weather Service, um, you know, what, what's kind of your, your history and your, you know, where you feel that importance lies with, uh, with those reports? Yeah. So <clears throat> going back to before I was in the weather service, uh, my, my focus chasing has always been on reporting. Um, and I know, you know, we all chase for different reasons. There's research applications, there's uh, chasing with tour groups um, as, as a means of making money and whatnot. Um, obviously a lot of research going on and whatnot, uh, people looking for photos and videos. My focus has always been on the public reporting side, just because it, it, I, I knew back in the day that it had a lot of importance uh, for the local weather service offices. And I'm also very, just personally very driven by things that help people. So putting on my weather service hat, um, now that I'm, I'm working out in Pocatello, uh, spotter reports are huge. And, you know, there's this distinction, there's Skywarn spotters, there's storm chasers, a lot of people kind of put them in two different bins, and there is a difference, you know, spotters are usually going about their daily life and just, uh, when they happen to come across something, when they happen to see something going on in their neighborhood or on the way to work or on the way to their family, um, they'll, they'll go ahead and report that, whereas chasers put more time and money into following storms over great distances, counties and states and whatnot, and again, sometimes for different reasons. So from the Weather Service perspective, uh, you know, ground truth reports are huge. They are not going away. The importance of spotter reports are not going away. You know, we talk about all these great advances these days in radar technology, um, you know, dual pole radar, phased array radar. We have satellite imagery that's incredible resolution now uh, with even one minute updates uh, if we want that type of data during severe weather. And even with these advances, there's nothing that's come along and probably nothing that's going to come along in any of our lifetimes that's going to replace ground truth reports. Um, so the Skywarn program, um, the, the practice of calling in reports, whether it's to the media or, or directly to the Weather Service offices, uh, remains incredibly important for our operations at the Weather Service. And I think that's going to remain incredibly important going forward, um, even with the advances. Well, th thanks for um, you know explaining that that really well. I you know I guess kind of the purpose of of tonight's conversation, how everything kind of comes back around is, um, you know how things are going to change this storm season with the threat of coronavirus and the just the way um, things are going this storm season already, and hopefully that changes in a few weeks or a month. And you know staying ultra optimistic that by late May or June things will be a lot closer to where they were, you know, 
before all of this, but, but, you know, that's just the optimistic storm chaser in me. Um, all that being said, you know, the, I think one of the important things is, um, what if we're talking five years from now and we're looking back at, um, this storm season, what are going to be the biggest takeaways? You know, what, what are the most important things that, that may have happened, um, weather-wise from, from a lot of people staying home from a lot of, you know, research potentially being halted. Um, so, so that being said, uh, you know, Kevin, kind of back to you about, you know, this reporting, uh, just kind of starting there as we're all trying to make sense of severe weather and try and figure out the best way to, um, to, to make sense of ground reports and get those in. Um, how do you think that might be affected this storm season? It's really hard to tell. So obviously, and I, probably everyone on this panel is aware, there's a lot of debate right now um, going on among the spotter community, storm chaser community on to chase or not to chase and CDC guidelines. And, you know, how is the overall season going to be impacted, uh, you know, with everything going on with COVID? Um, in, in terms of the reports that are streaming into the weather service offices, it's hard to tell. You know, we get a lot of reports from the local spotters in each CWA. So each county warning area, the, the area that each weather service office is in charge of in terms of forecasting and warning operations. Um, you know, I, I don't speculate that that would change significantly, um, particularly with a lot of people at home. You know, our, our spotters that usually call in reports are hopefully uh, going to continue to call in reports uh, throughout the pandemic as long as they can do so safely. Um, in terms of maybe having less chasers out in the field, it's, it's, it's really hard to speculate on that, you know, whether that's going to have an impact on the overall verification process or, or just the amount of reports uh, that are coming in. Um, officially, from the Weather Service standpoint, uh, we strongly recommend everyone to follow all the CDC guidelines and all the local guidelines uh, related to the pandemic. Um, that's kind of a first priority before we get into, well, I need to report the wall cloud. Um, but outside of that, pandemic or no pandemic, we want those ground truth reports whenever they can be sent. Kevin, one of the things that you said that stuck with me was the importance that in normal times, these observations can provide to you guys at the National Weather Service. I'd like to have you speak a little bit more to that in just a second, but what I'd like to do to kind of draw a parallel between the two conversations we're having is play a sound clip today from here in Charlotte, North Carolina, where Mecklenburg County Health Director Gibby Harris actually draw, uh, drew a line between what hurricane forecasting is like and what trying to forecast the coronavirus is like and it plays off of exactly what i think you were just talking about about how today's observations determine tomorrow's forecast this runs about a minute it's a little long but i want to i want to let our weather centric audience hear this sound we have built the modeling that we're using in this community based on methods that were developed by a team of researchers at the university of pennsylvania the cdc has also used this model we're working with our partners at Atrium and Novant, and it requires data from all three of our systems to run these models. We've adjusted the models with our local data and are monitoring the projections daily. Every time we put in new data and adjust the assumptions based on what we're seeing in our community, the forecasts can shift. These models are not unlike what you see when we have a hurricane. When you see models from a hurricane, you see where the hurricane is, and then the cone that goes out from the hurricane. That means that it could happen anywhere within that cone based on the modeling that they're able to do. And the further you go out with the modeling, the wider that cone becomes. 
That's what we're dealing with in this situation. We have limited data, and we're using what we're seeing in other communities to help us with that modeling. But you have to know that this is a moving target for us, and we're doing the best we can with what we have. So, Kevin, those observations, whether they come from humans or machinery, really do play a role in the weather world to help with tomorrow's forecasting. Is that right? That's right, yes. And <clears throat> I think we're padded a little bit uh, as far as spotter reports go. And what I mean by that is, uh, obviously, uh, when we're reducing weather balloon launches, which are directly inputted into the models that we use, if we're reducing observations coming from aircraft, because air travel is down so much right now uh, with the pandemic going on, um, things like that that are direct inputs into the weather models are going to have a pretty clear and documented impact, I think, on some of the accuracy and, uh, and just the performance of the overall model. When we circle back around to ground truth reports from spotters and from storm chasers, um, again, it's, <laughs> it's hard to ascertain. We're not plugging a, a spotter report or a chaser report directly into a model. Um, and again, with, with uh, the majority of spotters being on the spotter end of that spectrum and reporting from home, reporting from work, um, again, we're hoping that we don't see a big reduction in those types of reports coming in during the pandemic. But I can think of multiple examples uh, all the way back to high school when I was a spotter back in high school. Uh, and then I kind of started to stray more and more into storm chasing uh, as we went into college and then my, my adult life so far. Uh, there's a lot of different examples I can think of where actions were taken by the weather service immediately based on my report. And that's a really great feeling um, as far as, you know, we know spotter reports are valuable. I'm telling you they're valuable right now as a weather service employee, uh, but being able to see that in real time. So for example, uh, back in uh, Cicero, New York, just north of the Syracuse area, uh, called in my rain gauge observation one day. This was back, I believe, toward the end of high school and said, hey, we've had a thunderstorm uh, our, our total accumulation over the last 45 minutes was measured as this much. And this is what I'm seeing in terms of minor flooding around the neighborhood. And within three minutes, an urban and small stream flood advisory was issued. And uh, when you read into the text of the advisory, it said, you know, at such and such a time, a trained weather spotter reported this much rain fell in 45 minutes. The weather spotter reported there is street flooding in Cicero. Um, and, you know, multiple, multiple examples like that over my time as a spotter, um, where you can see that direct effect um, that, that that report has. So I, I think it's kind of in a different category. Um, you, regardless of how the weather models are responding to changes in the data inputs uh, right now due to the pandemic, um, I think spotting is always valuable. Calling in reports, whether you're a spotter or chaser, is always valuable, uh, pandemic or no pandemic. And hopefully that's going to continue uninterrupted as we go forward this year. Hey, Kevin, one more question for you before we move over to Brett, Mike, uh, and Tim. As a forecaster at the National Weather Service, if come May, some of these stay-at-home orders haven't been repealed and we can't get storm spotters out in the field, um, how will that affect the warning process? Yeah, so again, hard to say. I think the majority, my impression from my experience is the majority of our local Skywarn spotters that report into each uh, weather service office, again, are local. Um, and so I don't think, I don't think there's going to be a huge interruption um, in general in terms of their ability to report what they're seeing in their backyard, the type of weather that's impacting their neighborhood and whatnot. And again, it's hard to categorize, you know, if people are not going out as much as they would, if some of the local spotters are not driving the neighborhood looking for damage maybe because of the pandemic, 
or if we're cutting down on the uh, chaser presence out in the field, just from the storm chasers, whether they're local or, or coming in from another state, it's very hard to very hard to tell what type of impact that would have. Um, but uh, you know, the final thought on that again is uh, whether you're a storm chaser, whether you're a spotter, whether you're someone looking to get involved in that process. You know, these reports matter a lot. We use them every single high impact weather event and operations at all the weather service offices, and it's a great thing to get involved in. And uh, if, you know, if you want me to, at some point, I can speak a little bit more to that and how to get involved as well. Yeah, actually, uh, Kevin, near the end of, uh, as we kind of, after we talk about some more things, um, it, it, you know, we'll be talking about that specifically. And for any of the listeners, it would be great for us to give them things to do, do they can, uh, that they can do from home to become involved with better reporting and, and stuff like that. So, We'll be uh, actually speaking to that. I think it's a great and very useful thing that we can all kind of try and figure out uh, what we can all do while we while we stay at home. So, um, but over to you, uh, Brett. You know, you're out in the car. You're you're pursuing storms right now. Um, just as a kind of overall uh, question, what is um, so important about today and about what you're doing that? Um, you're in the car and following these storms right now. What, what, from a media perspective and from a meteorologist perspective, is um, the reason you're out there, and 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 why is that so important? Yeah, Dan. I mean, it's one of those situations where now, you know, some people are definitely scared to go in the field because you know the advisement has been to stay at home in most states. For us, we're still essential. We still have to report. We still have to. Know, give the news, whether it be the news or weather news, and we're having to take really drastic steps to change things in the field ourselves. Um, normally, you know, when we go out, we do this, we're, you know, covering the storms, and then we may be covering damage, and then, in most cases, we're going to go and, you know, try to find a place to have a meal, uh, try to find a place to sleep for the night, get ready for the next day, or get ready to head home. For us, over the last month and a half, uh, my wife already has a, a bit of an issue with lupus, so she has an underlying condition. So I'm having to be extremely careful. Um, we have tons of hand sanitizer, gloves, uh, N95 masks. We've been sleeping in tents on air mattresses at campgrounds that were open. Now we're going to likely have to do some primitive type camping when we go out for the next month or two months or however long. Um, we also are having to bring our own food because in many cases we just don't either A, you don't have restaurants open to do curbside when we're finished with our day or B, you know, the comfort level of trying to get food right now is just not there because um, personally I think you could easily spread a virus through, you know, food, food contamination. Um, so, I mean, we're just having to be extremely careful wiping down gas pumps before we use them, wiping down credit card readers, uh, because we've still got to pump fuel, it has really changed the way that we operate, and we're having to, to really slow down and be more attentive to the things that normally would be second nature to us when we're in the field. So, personally, I'm a little more worried about other things than the storms, and you have to, you have to pay attention and uh, really think about things more in depth. And, and it also, you know, I, I second guess myself sometimes. I don't want to become complacent about the weather and then have an issue there as well. So it's it's becoming very challenging, but we still have to be out here, reduce number of spotters, 
um, you know, one thing that has not happened yet, and luckily for all of us it hasn't, you know, what if we had a radar failure during, you know, a time of, of this where we don't have as many spotters and eyes out in the field on storms if we had severe weather? Um, luckily, our equipment hasn't failed us yet. Let's just continue to hope we get through this without any of those type of issues as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, Tim, Tim, to kind of uh, speak to you, you've, you've already been out um, chasing as well. You've done your damage assessments. You've, you've, you've seen some of these um, effects probably as well. Is there anything like what Brett was talking about that, that you think you've uh, had to change or that's limited your ability to, to do your job or to uh, pursue the storms? Absolutely. Everything Brett was saying with regard to you know, carrying uh, hand sanitizer, I have an N95 mask and have gloves, I have surgical gloves, I have a whole box of them. So every time I go to fuel up, I put on a surgical glove and then go ahead and proceed to use that and then throw it away after I, after I fill up the vehicle. Uh, fast food is the order of the day, obviously. And uh, that's not good for my health. Uh, my doctor would certainly uh, frown on that, but that's the way chasing is. So uh, some of the uh, fast food restaurants are still open fairly late at night. And, and uh, even the Sonics we found are open and, and not my first choice uh, to go eat there. But if it's the only thing around, you want something warm uh, there, uh, there you go. Hotels I have not found to be a problem yet. Uh, I've been finding that many hotels welcome to have a visitor because uh, they don't have hardly anybody in the hotels. So uh, I'm not too too concerned about that. So far, we've done pretty well. We've had a couple chases already, and it's been uh, been fun. But I think what happens is we'll see how things work over the next few weeks and, and months and see how bad it gets or if it improves any. And so, Mike, I want to bring you in because Tim lives in Texas, uh, Brent's in Alabama. You're in Arizona, so you have to do a lot of traveling to get to where you need to be. Uh, what do you think the effects may be for you? Have you already experienced some of them? Kind of tell us, uh, walk us through your game plan. Uh, well, at least I haven't experienced them. I haven't been out chasing yet. I've kind of put a goal in my head of not chasing until May, just so I don't even think about it right now. I just want to wait till things maybe get a little better. Um, plus, I have three kids. They're out of school. And my wife is works at our church where there's only a couple people working. So she still goes in every day. And so I'm, you know, I'm kind of hunkered down helping them, you know, get caught up on schoolwork that they need to do. Um, I'm the one going to the store to get groceries and all that. So it's actually been really fun, but also kind of, you know, I'm still trying to work and stuff on my own, on my own, which has been a little bit uh, stressful with the kids. But you know, I'm trying to like look at this time a little bit with some silver lining as a gift that I get to spend time with them and, and help them out. But I've been all the precautions they're taking. I've been taking. I'm starting, you know, I've, I'm freaking out. I sound a little sick. I have allergies out here. But on Friday night, I thought I was like, oh, my God, my chest is caving in. And I've got all these symptoms and had like a panic attack on Friday night. So, you know, since then, I realized I just have allergies. It's real bad out here for everybody. But I do everything. Go to the store and wash my hands before I go in. I um, I try not to touch anything. I don't touch. I've like trained myself not to touch my face. And it's just crazy how much your face itches once you've trained yourself not to touch your face inside a grocery store. And um, and I cannot immediately wash my hands and, and make sure and wash my phone if I've touched it or 
credit card or whatever. So, um, but for me, at least coming up, it's, it's going to be different. I usually, you know, I usually will do tours for seven days, 10 days. I don't know if any of those are going to happen. They don't usually start till mid-May. So I don't, I, right now I'm, you know, one of the guys coming, he was a 77 year old man. Who's come on a couple of my workshops before he's like, I don't want to come and I don't want to stay in hotels and, and which is great. You know, I don't want him to risk anything. He doesn't want to, but um, you know, for me, when I started doing this, I started in Arizona chasing by myself. And when I started coming out the planes, I had a buddy or two, but really my first time ever coming out was by myself. And I learned to chase solo and how to navigate, look at radar and do all the stuff at the same time. For me, I'm almost thinking, you know, it's going to be like kind of like a flashback to how I used to chase. And right now, you know, the plan is to bring a cooler of food and a sleeping bag and a pillow and sleep in the back of my forerunner. And if I need a, you know, motel, you know, I might even go in and bring my pillow and my sleeping bag. So I don't really have to touch the bed and make sure I wipe everything down. And um, like Tim said, you know, I kind of, I have a neighbor who works with hotels and, you know, I know that some of them out there, you know, they're going to need money. They need support as well. Um, and so, you know, in a way, hopefully we're kind of helping them out at the same time of being, you know, safe and, and all that. So, you know, my plan is to just kind of try to do that as much as I can. I've gotten used to driving out there, um, especially to, you know, kind of to Denver, chasing, coming back to Denver, leaving my truck somewhere and flying home for, you know, a hundred bucks a flight one way, which is pretty cheap, staying home for a few days, flying back out and chasing. So I don't have to do the crazy drives back and forth across New Mexico and everything. But um, this year, I'm probably going to have to get used to uh, doing that again. So um, I think it's possible it's going to be a little bit uh, different than before, but I my, my plan really is to, you know, hopefully wait till May, maybe first, second week of May. Um, I love late May and June anyway. It's about my favorite time to chase more. Usually it's more picturesque or it can be, um, but um, but that's just kind of my goal. And if it, if it's, um, if it's safe to go, I'm going to feel real good about it, but I'm definitely going to be ultra paranoid the whole time I'm out there and try to avoid any, you know, big chaser meetups, no Applebee dinners, none of that stuff, you know, it's just going to be kind of staying below radar and just chasing and having fun and trying to just do what I really love, which is just be out there all night getting lightning photos. And, and honestly, storm chasing, at least to me, is one of the most socially distancing hobbies you can possibly have. That also, at least for me, is a job. So I get to go do that and really have an excuse to be away from everybody and not have to do anything. And, and but other than you know, Tim and Brett said, you know, wash your hands before touching a gas pump and, and avoid, you know, that kind of stuff as much as possible. So um, at least that's my plan right now, but we'll see. It's, you know, it's only early April. Who knows what's going to change? Yeah, definitely in a changing world. Uh, Kevin, I want to bring you in and then we're going to go to a quick break. Um, with the weather service, I know um, some things um, have to be kept internally, but as we get into storm season with the weather service, uh, we see these bigger severe weather days. Sometimes uh, the weather service brings in additional staff to help monitor uh, social media, skywarn, things like that. Does the weather service have any clue or any uh, ideas or plans on, on how to address these bigger severe weather event days during the uh, COVID-19 pandemic? Yeah. So the guidance we've been given is operations continue. So broadly in the weather service, we have a lot of people teleworking if they can particularly um, on the management side, um, upper management, even some of our IT support and electricians type positions, um, electronic support um, are, are trying to telework as much as possible. 
as far as operations goes, um, doing the forecast, forecasting for the airports, providing support for our partners, all of the severe weather outbreaks, all of that. Um, it, it's, I, I say business as usual, you know, we're washing our hands more, we're spraying down the workstations, we're trying not to sit next to each other. So we're trying to practice social distancing and disinfect as much as we can. Um, but we're gonna bring in everybody that we need uh, to, to work a severe weather event or a tornado outbreak. And it, it kind of comes down to risk. Um, if we have the potential for big tornadoes to start wiping people out, you know, there's a point where that risk potentially, uh, particularly if we can't warn for it, um, that that risk is going to become pretty big and be a pretty uh, big threat to life and property. And, uh, you know, right alongside the pandemic that needs to be addressed. So, uh, yeah, we, we bring in everybody that we need on the operational side to handle uh, the big events, just like we normally would for the pandemic. Yeah, last week we were able to uh, talk with Ron Vaughn, who covered the Jonesboro tornado, and was talking about doing the severe weather coverage uh, at home and why limited staff in the studio. So um, we're going to go to a quick break. I want to let you know the uh, severe thunderstorm warning for Mecklenburg County and surrounding areas has expired, but we have had a few storm reports come in during the show. Uh, so we'll cover those. We're going to talk a little bit more about storm surveying and how COVID-19 may affect that. And we're going to now go to a break and let you know a little bit how to stay safe during the COVID-19 pandemic. The American Red Cross urgently needs blood and platelet donations and asks all healthy donors to schedule an appointment to give now. With the coronavirus outbreak, it is important to maintain a sufficient blood supply. Your blood donation is critical and can help save lives. Please, Schedule an appointment today. Download the Blood Donor app, visit redcrossblood.org, or call 1-800-RED-CROSS today. You can make a difference. Here's how you can make your own face covering in a few easy steps with items you can find around the house, like an old scarf, a bandana or a hand towel, or you can make a face covering out of an old t-shirt. Fold it to the middle from the bottom. Fold it to the middle from the top. Fold it again to the middle from the bottom and again from the top. And then two rubber bands, one on one side and one on the other side. Then you fold either side to the middle and you have yourself cloth face covering. It's that easy. We are back here, um, so hopefully you were able to get some of that information. Uh, you can see right now our Sky Camera Network looking over uh, Charlotte right now where the storms have passed. We're going to talk a little bit more about that severe weather in just a little bit, but Evan, I want to toss it to you because um, it's, it's crazy, and, and I know you're going to ask Tim this. We had a major tornado before the pandemic and a major tornado after the pandemic, so I know you want to ask Tim kind of about those two different perspectives. Right. And so we're, we've been talking about Jonesboro last week with Ryan Vaughn. Uh, and once again, just in that little break that y'all just watched, uh, we're talking about another tornado warned storm that is just to the southwest of Jonesboro once again. Um, so, Tim, you were in Jonesboro just recently in the past few days uh, surveying. Did you notice any uh, effects of the COVID-19 outbreak and how that influenced uh, storm surveying as well as storm recovery? Well, the people there were very cognizant of the stay-at-home order, but they also wanted to go out and see the damage. So there was, uh, you know, kind of a, two types of people out there. There were people who did stay home, and then there were people who were out in their cars taking cell phone pictures of, of the damage and destruction. 
the police were all over there. And funny because uh, talking to the police there, uh, you know, one police officer shook my hand and then I, we both thought, wait a minute now, we shouldn't be doing that. And then other officers would say, well, we could just, you know, uh, say hi or something like that. And, that, and that's, that's great. So there was some of that. And then uh, the hotel I stayed at up in Jonesboro, they said that before the tornado, they had 20% occupancy. But then after the tornado, it went to 60%. And they expect it to be sold out as more uh, first responders and contractors come into town. So in a way, it's a, you know, it brings back some business. Absolutely. Wow. That's, that's, that's scary stuff. It's the worst case scenario that a major tornado goes through a populated area at a time like this. And obviously that's awful no matter when, even when there's no virus uh, wreaking havoc through the world. Um, but that's just awful for those folks. Uh, over to you, Scotty. Uh, thank you, Evan. Uh, Tim, I want to keep you up and bring Kevin in as well. Uh, Tim, you were able to kind of go through Nashville, uh, Tennessee, look at this tornado damage that went through downtown. Uh, that was pre- COVID-19, uh, before everything kind of shut down. You was in Jonesboro after COVID-19. So you, you did storm surveys on both. So I want to ask you, how are those storm surveys different? Have you noticed anything? And then Kevin, I want to piggyback that off to you. Is how will the weather service conduct these storm surveys when we're in this time of social distancing? So Tim, I'll throw it to you first. Well, as far as Nashville and then Jonesboro is concerned, I was still able to get around without any problems whatsoever. I was able to do my survey without any problem. I, I do a lot of walking as well, and and I have all the credentials with me. So, you know, I have my hard hat on and I have a jacket on that, that says, uh, you know, that I'm a surveyor. So those kinds of things, people recognize me as, as somebody who's supposed to be essential out there doing the job. And, and that's what I do. So I've had no problems with it myself. And like I was saying earlier, there's two kinds of people out there in, in the Jonesboro area, those that stayed home and those that went out and took a look at the damage. And it wasn't anything too bad because it's a, it's a rural town and it, it didn't have the hundreds of people that have, have had, had it or died from it yet. And so it wasn't really that impactful uh, to a lot of the people I spoke with. Uh, they didn't realize the full extent of it, I don't think, it, like some of the bigger cities uh, have. It's because they're out two hours from Little Rock, for example, and, and they're out in the, in the country, and they don't have the concentration of COVID-positive cases as something like Little Rock. And Kevin, with you guys doing out um, National Weather Service uh, storm surveys, uh, I know you got the credentials and stuff, but you sometimes you um, maybe interview or interact with homeowners and business owners and things like that. Is there any guidelines that are changing um, during this uh, COVID-19 period? Yeah, so uh, luckily we haven't had anything to survey yet out here in Idaho, uh, certainly less severe weather than the plains. Um, which makes it a little bit nicer. But, uh, you know, storm surveys are a responsibility of the Weather Service, uh, usually a lot of times in conjunction with local emergency management and some other partners. And as they fall under operations, uh, we're, we're going to proceed forward with what we need to do. Um, certainly, there's going to be social distancing. There's going to be an increased emphasis on safety and disinfecting and masks and things like that, just like everyone else is doing. 
Um, so that that's the main difference there is that type of stuff is going to come into play in a pretty big way um, as we go out and do that. But storm surveys will continue. I'll mention too, since it, it relates to chasing and spotting, um, we've had to cancel our outreach. Uh, you know, we a lot of weather service offices are essentially locked down. We're not letting contractors in anymore. We're not taking, you know, we're not interacting with people who are delivering packages. We're not allowing tours or visits or any in-person meetings of any kind. And that includes the outreach we do out in the field like Skywarn classes um, to, to train new spotters. So um, a lot of that has been canceled and actually just about all outreach across the country uh, for the weather service has been canceled or postponed until things get better uh, in the course of this pandemic. Uh, we have increased, uh, most offices have increased their virtual presence. Uh, some offices are doing more virtual online Skywarn classes that people can di uh, dial into live. So there's been a little bit of more of an emphasis there. And that's a trend that's been going on for years. A lot of offices have been starting to do that anyway. Uh, but that's certainly taken on a bigger role here during the pandemic since we're avoiding all of that in-person contact. So Ke Kevin, if I was, um, this, let's say this was my first year trying to do get involved with severe weather whether that's the information or the spotting or or you know and and i have to do most of that from home what other things would you recommend that i could get into to be able to kind of enhance my knowledge and also my ability to report um, from my local area for home things such as um uh Kokoros or uh mping anything like that that you can think of yeah so there are two ways to look at this. One, uh, business as usual as far as reporting for local spotters. Um, if you're going to work, if you're at home, you see severe weather before we wanted to know about it, we still want to know about it. And it's certainly you know, a safe social distancing activity as far as reporting electronically or over the phone. Um, Kokoraz is great. Uh, we use that data at the weather service offices across the country uh, routinely uh, for precipitation events. Um, so getting involved in Kokoraz, whether the pandemic was happening or not, is, is certainly something that's encouraged. Um, getting involved in your local Skywarn program and becoming a spotter, certainly encouraged. And then there's uh, other technologies out there such as Spotter Network and MPing uh, that, are, that are both pretty popular among the spotter and chaser community. And uh, those are fair game as well during the pandemic. So if you, if you haven't gotten involved in Spotter Network, um, there's a little training that you can take online to get involved there. And that's a way to submit reports. Uh, and those reports do uh, process into a lot of our systems at the weather service offices like NWS chat and uh, some of our other systems. And then on the MPing side, uh, MPing, uh, it can be a little less useful at times depending on the category you're using. Um, in terms of whether we can directly use that for storm verification. So for example, uh, if you're reporting quarter size hail and MPing, perfect. Uh, a lot of weather service offices have starting, started using that data on a regular basis uh, in an official capacity. Uh, some of the wind damage categories in MPing are a little more binned. Uh, they're a little more broad and, and not very specific and that, that isn't always the most helpful as far as verification goes. But remember, MPing is being used for research uh, by the NSSL, by OU, and I believe SIMS uh, is involved in well. So outside the weather service, uh, there's a lot of applications for the MPing data. So that's still a great, uh, valuable way to report. And uh, they're, they're still looking to really push that and get more and more reporting through MPing. Um, utilizes crowdsourcing uh, to really provide its value. Um, so all of these are on the table, regardless of whether there was a pandemic or not. And uh, we certainly encourage you know, people to continue to take those routes and, and get involved if you're interested in getting involved. 
Tim, uh, in years past, you've been involved in projects such as Vortex 2 uh, and more recently Rotate. How might this uh, diminish travel and be more careful about what you do while you're out chasing? How might all of those things affect uh, severe weather research this season? Well, there'll be no project this year for me. I was informed that the folks that are in charge, Josh and Karen, lost funding, unfortunately, uh, with NSF. So there's not going to be any kind of program this year. But uh, they have asked me in past years to go along with them and to serve as uh, one of the lead probe vehicles out there to deploy those instrumented pods. And the reason for that is because of my uh, long years of experience and how I had this passion for getting up right in front of tornadoes. And we've had some good success over the years with them. It's just I wish that we'd go every year instead of kind of waiting on the whims of funding. But I guess that's the way it works. So there won't be a project this spring, but I'll be out. I'm always out every spring, have been since 1978. And I will continue to go out and chase. Uh, Brett, I want to talk to you. Uh, I know you, Livestorms Media, you guys uh, are out shooting video and, um, you know, different media outlets contact you about that. Do you think that might be a bigger thing this year to kind of break the COVID-19 news cycle, people wanting to see something besides the coronavirus uh, with severe weather video? It's already been that way. Um, we've been kind of noticing an uptick lately. Uh Couple of, a couple of other issues, though, with it. Unfortunately, some of our clients, uh, particularly within the CBS News headquarters in New York City, have actually died of COVID. Uh, so it has created internal challenges on the administration side for the bigger networks. Um, as you can imagine, treating their people and uh, covering the story as much as they can Another issue that we have actually ran into this year is we covered the Eufaula, Alabama tornado last week as it roared through. And, you know, your first thoughts are to get out and check on people, number one. Uh, number two, when people start talking to you and coming up and telling you about how the storm was, and then, you, you know, from my media background, my perspective is, okay, well, would you like to do an interview? And it's very, very hard for me to try and, retrain myself, wait, you know, I can't, you know, I can't mic this person up or uh, we're going to have to take a different approach. We're trying to stay six feet back. Well, the boom mic, pick up the audio, you know, those type of things. So the actual coverage element has had to change overall as well due to COVID. But back to your original question, yes, we've seen an uptick in weather video. I think really and truly, you know, there's so much doom and gloom with the curve and the number of fatalities nationwide, the number of cases, that anything that is different is going on television, people are, are kind of glued to because they they know the seriousness of the situation, but they really just, they're getting burned out on hearing about it. Definitely so. Well, uh, I know we're running uh, up on the hour. Uh, I want to invite you guys to stick around for just a little bit more. We're going to do a weather roundtable. But before we do that, I'd love to give you an opportunity to promote uh, any website, social media that folks can follow you on. Uh, Mike, I'll start with you first. How can uh, how can people keep track with you as we get into the storm chasing season? 
Um, I mean, pretty much unless it's something called TikTok, which I've never understood what that is. You can find me. So Twitter and Instagram and uh, Facebook and my name for my website and, and all that. But if you Google my name, you'll probably find it. I think we may see Mike on TikTok before long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tim, how about you? Well, I'm on Spotter Network. When a storm gets going, then I put my beacon on, but not until my target storm is going. So I really, people cannot follow me until there's a target storm there. And I'm on Facebook. That's the only social media I'm on. Even though I do have a, a Twitter handle of Tornado Tornado, I don't really post very much on Twitter. So it's best to follow me on Facebook. I put out a forecast in the morning if I'm going chasing and I show kind of the setup and show you my target. So that's not done by too many other chasers, but that's what I do. So at least they have an idea of where I'll be in the afternoon. I always enjoy seeing your Facebook posts, uh, drawing the target area of where you uh, are headed towards. Um, Brent, how about you? How can we follow you? Yeah, we're on Facebook. Uh, obviously, I have a personal Facebook, but live Storms Media, you can see all kind of cool videos. And then the YouTube channel, uh, Alabama Storm Tracker, Alabama Storm Tracker on Twitter. And uh, if you got an iPhone, Android device, which most people do these days, uh, the live chasing app. That's one thing where people are going to be able to get some entertainment. We're going to have a lot of new live streamers streaming uh, storms this year. And we're going to be uh, running on LiveStormChasing.com. Also, lots of cool new features coming as we go through the season. And then, Kevin, if we find uh, ourselves in Idaho up in your area, how can we follow you? <laughs> well, unfortunately, you know, with, with my focus always being on calling in reports, and that's that's been, you know, always been kind of my core focus, I haven't really dabbled much into having social media pages for people to follow me on. So not super helpful there. Um, I have a personal Facebook page. I post some photos and video, mostly for friends and family. Um, and I'm on Spotter Network. So for the, the Chaser community and the Spotter community, you will see uh, my beacon moving around when I'm not on Chases um, on Spotter Network. I'll, I'll toss out there too, since I don't have a, a personal page that's public. Um, you know, the last question I kind of said, well, there, there's two different, two different things here. Um, one of them, like I talked about, is the spotting and chasing side and calling in reports. But uh, for people who are home teleworking uh, right now or maybe just have more free time on their hands because they are isolated because of the pandemic, uh, one way to get involved if you want to expand your knowledge a little bit in the world of weather, uh, weather.gov slash learning is uh, one of our official websites where we've collected together a lot of different things. So some of it designed for children, some of it designed for everybody. And I believe there's links to like Comet Med Ed and, and some different programs in there where actually you can take Skywarn uh, spotter training online and get that to your local office. But a lot of different resources there for anyone looking to pick up a little extra knowledge um, or learn a little more about weather if you have extra time at home during the pandemic. Some great information there. We'll be sure to share that website out. Uh, I'm going to toss it to Evan. I uh, kind of gave us a recap of the severe weather ongoing. And I'm going to ask Brett if I can put him on the spot after Evan talks. I know there's a big severe weather threat in the deep south uh, coming up this weekend. Maybe you can kind of give us an idea of what to expect in those areas, if that's okay with you, Brett. All right, go ahead, Evan. I'll let you go, and then we'll let Brett follow. All right, I'll go ahead and throw my screen up here for you all to see. Uh, so at the moment, we have no severe thunderstorm warnings in North or South Carolina, which is the first time in several hours, pretty much since noon today. Uh, just recently, we had a one-inch hail report uh, in Charlotte. I believe James is very upset that he missed a one-inch uh, hail report outside. It should have been right out my window, but 
but I was so it, focused on the show, I missed it. I hate to see it. Uh, but we do still have that line of storms draped across uh, Chesterfield out to Bennettsville um, and extending west to uh, into York County. Uh, but all of it is sub-severe at the moment. We did have stronger storms earlier in the day. I'll stop sharing. James, I don't know if you can get the storm reports up. Uh, but we did have stronger storms earlier near the Raleigh area and to the northwest of there that produced hail up to one inch uh, and wind gusts up to 58 miles per hour uh, just west of Raleigh, closer towards Greensboro uh, in Tim Buckley's area. Um, so you can see the quarter size hail report there um, just near James Place recently. Uh, but as we go into the evening, the storm should peter out, especially this line moving down into South Carolina. And we'll look at a new line coming in from the west around uh, entering the mountains between 4 and 6 a.m. Uh, and then fizzling just a little bit as it moves east into the Piedmont throughout the day. And I'll just add on our screen right now is the uh, Storm Prediction Center outlook for the remainder of today, uh, where you can see in yellow there that slight risk. And then as we head in through the overnight hours, as Evan mentioned, uh, we will still have a marginal risk there for the Charlotte area, the uh, Sand Hills of South Carolina, parts of Central North Carolina, uh, because that's going to be rolling on through during that almost overnight into the early morning hours. And so there's a look there at those uh, Storm Prediction Center outlooks. Scotty? Yeah, and I was going to say, Evan, you had a great tweet today talking about the craziness of the North Carolina weather. Severe weather today, 80-degree temperatures today, and then we're talking about snow Friday morning. Yeah, we just we keep doing this little whiplash thing in April. Uh, we had, like you said, 80 degrees today for most areas, even up here in Asheville, uh, where we stayed at the house. Uh, and then tonight, we'll see a lot of storms roll through. Tomorrow, we'll see gusts up to 55, even down to the valleys uh, and maybe into the foothills uh, somewhere near Scotty. And then... Tomorrow night, we'll see snow in the high elevations. Maybe, uh, I doubt we'll see any snow in the valleys. I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming of a few snowflakes down here in Asheville. I don't think it'll happen. And then uh, it'll be real cold. We'll get down and freezing by Friday morning. So yeah, it's crazy. Definitely so. Uh, roller coaster weather. And then we look towards the Easter weekend. And uh, that's where I'm going to bring Brett in because, Brett, we're looking at the potential, a pretty uh, significant severe weather setup in the uh, Deep South. Yeah, I've been watching that setup for the last several days. The uh, the limiting factors right now that I can see, uh, number one, the GFS model, which it is not my model of choice ever. Um, GFS is known to have some issues, but right now, you know, some of our globals, European, UK met, uh, the Canadian jumped on board, the ICON model, uh, they're predicting a pretty powerful system to eject out of the southwest uh good trough coming out over texas on saturday and then skirting toward the east on easter sunday and, i mean it just really sets the stage the one factor that i see right now that's going to be very closely monitored would be coastal convection uh the gfs tries to hold down the warm front along the gulf coast sections a little bit further south and I think it may be wrong. Several of the other models have some upper level uh, anti-cyclonic flow down on the coastline, which would, in my opinion, you know, promote some sinking air. So that should cut off coastal convection. And there's some pretty good lapse rates and actually warm mid-level temperatures on the Euro and the UK and some of those other models down there. If that were to verify, that would likely allow for a rapid recharge of the air mass up into Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, 
uh, potentially the foothills of the Carolinas, all the way up into Tennessee. And as you noted last night, the SPC did put out a risk area, and they were very aggressive on the wording for that particular risk area and said that if trends continue, an upgrade will be warranted. So I'm looking as our trends today seemingly look pretty bad. I mean, it's, some of the models are basically verbatim showing the potential for strong long track type tornadoes. I would expect to see some sort of an upgrade area, maybe as early as tonight uh, across the deep south for Sunday. The biggest problem we have is with COVID ongoing, we don't have the aircraft data over the Pacific being funneled into our model data currently. Not, not anywhere near the amount of data that we usually get. So we're having to wait on these systems to get into our upper air network across the western portion of the United States before we're able to sample them really well. So we'll have to just monitor and see what kind of caveats and differences with the system as it ejects eastward. Uh, because, you know, I don't think it's perfect right now. I don't think it's forecasting things exactly as they'll actually pan out. But the trends are very, very scary looking. Definitely. So, um, you know, climatologically, this is the, the prime time for severe weather in this in the south. So we'll definitely be keeping our eyes on that. And James, today, uh, the National Weather Service, NOAA, uh, Weather Ready Nation Ambassadors, all are putting, promoting uh, selfie, uh, safe place day, safe place selfie day. I'll say it that <laughs> right the second time. Safe place selfie day. And so, uh, James, I know you were able to capture uh, a few uh, selfies. Yes, the first one comes to us from the National Weather Service in Greenville, Spartanburg, making mention of social distancing. Have you thought about where your safe place is at work? You know, for that point in time when we actually went to work. Uh, for them, it would be their break room, which doubles as their storm shelter. And you'll notice that it is empty here, as we've talked about with so many of them working from home. Uh, this guy's going to look real familiar to you. Here's Scotty Powell in his, is this a basement closet, Scotty? This is the basement bathroom, yes. Yeah, you got your helmet on, which is good. You have your, your tools. And uh, loyal viewers of the show will know that we've actually seen Scotty reporting live from this space while seeking shelter. So we're used to seeing that wood paneling there behind him. Uh, and then... What are you going remind to say? me, remind me, it happened about this time last year, right? Yes, I believe talking it was about that earlier. a year ago coming up, uh, not the 16th, because that's a different tornado outbreak, but it was about a year ago that it all took place. Um, and then uh, here's my picture. Uh, we moved into our new house a couple months ago, and I'm still trying to figure out where everything is, but we have this really nice space under the stairs, and I was going to pose with my emergency hand crank radio because it's important that when you go into a shelter, you can continue to receive information, but it's actually acting as the flashlight in this particular photo. So it's not too late. If you uh, have not already taken your picture, you can send it using hashtag SafePlaceSelfie. Uh, and it's just always good to know exactly where you're going to go, how you're going to get there. And if you're like me, make sure you clean the space out, clean the closet out, maybe the day or so ahead of time so you can get in there in a moment's notice. Scotty, back yeah. over to you. Yeah, so we have a couple of days. We'll be watching that uh, severe weather possible setup uh, over the weekend. So uh, that's all for tonight. Next week, we're going to be talking about the April 16th, 2011 uh, tornado outbreak in the Carolinas. So be sure to tune in next week. We all hope you have a great Easter weekend. Stay safe out there, and we'll see you next time here on the Carolina Weather Group.